you don't know me, my name is James Pittman. I am an elder at New Life Church. And this, this week, I think Lindsay and I conspired to give Jeremy the week off. I say that, you planned it this way, but it's nice for him to receive instead of constantly give. If, you, uh, if you've been following along with us last week, Lindsay uh, brought the message, brought the fiery message, if you were here, about kingdom-mindedness, one of our core values. I encourage you to go back and listen to that on our website or on YouTube or however you partake of those things. It, is re- it was really good. It was really good, and it was really deep, and uh, it's worth a second pass. But building off of that, we're going to walk into another one of our core values, which is discipleship-driven. And these go, all of them go hand in hand, but these especially go hand in hand because as you are kingdom-minded, you will be discipleship-driven. So I'll read you the the core value that, as it appears in our Discover NLC book, it says, discipleship-driven. We value being true followers of Jesus. We are people of the Word of God. His Word is the bedrock of our faith and anchor of our souls. We are people of prayer. Relationship with God is important, and a church that prays together stays together. We are people of community. Relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is important. A church that stays together grows together. And we are people of the Lord's table, remembering Jesus' sacrifices often, drawing us closer to him and his body. So we're going to talk about discipleship-driven and what it means. And we're going, to, we're going to talk about what it's not also. So that necessitates us to the first logical question, what is discipleship? I'm glad you asked. Discipleship is a byproduct of whatever you worship. So you are a disciple. You're a disciple right now. It's just, what are you a disciple of? What are you discipling others in? Because we are designed for worship. We are designed to reflect God's glory, to, to worship Him as he honors us in this cyclical, this, this relationship of, of receiving and giving and honoring. So as we te- whatever we decide to open our heart to, we become a disciple of. If you look in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And you've probably often heard that. And that holds true even when you don't connect it to the word discipleship. But whatever we choose to worship, we will follow. Whatever we choose to give our heart, mind, life's focus, we will follow. Whether that's your political affiliation, your preferred national news outlet, your money, your lifestyle, And it could be good things. You could still be pursuing things like justice. You could still be pursuing things like helping the poor. But if they take the throne that God's designed to be in, you will execute them improperly. And it will not honor the Lord. 
ideally, Jesus is at the center, and you follow Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm not here to tell you that I've got it all figured out, because I don't. But what I'm understanding over and over and over and over again is that I, as I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, everything else is added to me. And the Holy Spirit is doing all of the heavy lifting. I'm coming to him in relationship. I'm seeking him in his word. I'm putting him first in my life. I'm walking out obedience. And he is creating and changing and doing things in me that create a life of discipleship. So ideally, you're following Jesus. You're, you're modeling Jesus' behavior. You're going and doing as he did. Or you're, but, but what we have, to, we have to get right on the front end is that the following part, the following part is our choice. We have to choose Jesus. So if you're already in the, in the Christian boat, if you've already professed Christ as your Savior and you received him, you are a degree drawn toward him by default. You are choosing him and being filled with the Holy Spirit. You are being drawn to his presence. He is pursuing you. But before that point, he is, he is drawing us close. He's trying to help us make that decision. But we have to choose. We have to say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, instead of me. Instead of this. Instead of that. So discipleship, at its bare, bare bottom, oversimplified definition, following. What are you following? Are you following Jesus? Or are you following something else? So why is discipleship important? I'm glad you asked. Specifically, for Jesus, when we align ourselves with him, when we follow after the Lord, everything else behind us begins to be brought into, into play. Everything around us, in front of us, the Lord goes before us, behind us, above, below, side to side. All those things, once we step into the middle of God's path and say, yes, let's go this way, just like I just said earlier in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. When we center our focus on Jesus and we begin to walk that out, now I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's always comfortable because it is definitely not that, but he brings about all the things that you require to walk out those things, to walk out discipleship. He's given you the desires and the power to please him as you walk out obedience. So following Christ aligns everything else in our life. And this is that process, you probably can call it, this is the better way to say it, the process of sanctification. That, okay, Jesus, here I am in the midst of my brokenness, and he says, Hey, son, hey, daughter, I'm so glad that you see me now. Follow me. Follow me out of this darkness. Follow me toward the Father. And lots and lots of that difficult change is back here in the deep darkness where, you have, where you're literally stepping out of everything you've ever known to be right by your own justification or whatever it is. You're stepping out of that and choosing to follow him. And there are a lot more intentional choices as you come out of that that place, that original place of sin and brokenness as he begins to sanctify and redeem you. And once you're, 
set square, then, you're, then it starts to make sense. You see the provision of the Lord. You see him transform your life. You see him transform the things around you. And yes, has become easier and easier and easier. The cost may increase or decrease, but the yeses become easier as God displays his glory, his goodness, his faithfulness to you. And you're strengthened by that. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Put on your new nature. We're shedding our old sinful nature. We're putting on the new nature. And we are actively being renewed as we learn to know our creator and become like him. So as we engage the Lord in relationship, as we seek him in the quiet places, we pray and fast and seek, ask, knock, all the things. As we go after him, he comes after us and begins this cycle of transformation. Because transformation is the goal. God loves you enough to reach down into the pit to save you, to come sit with you in the deepest, darkest place in your life. But he doesn't want to leave you there. And lots of people, especially in the Western church, lots of people are satisfied with coming through the gate, coming through the narrow gate. Jesus is that gate coming through it and being like, look at all of this kingdom. All right, I'm going to sit down. And I'm just going to stay here. Jesus saved me. And this is the extent of the testimony. Jesus saved me. Glory to God, he did. But there's so much more. End metaphor. Um <laughs> But there's so much more than just Christ saved me. It is a central and critical point because you can't do anything without Jesus. You can't accomplish anything without Jesus. But Jesus wants to take you past the single moment of salvation to walk out this sanctification to transform you into the fullness of what God has designed you for to bring heaven to earth. He said the good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. All the disciples didn't go out to be like, hey, here's a tract. Pray this prayer. All right, we're going to tally that one. One for the kingdom. (laughs) Those are still good. Don't hear me dissing those. But the good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven has invaded earth. He is working in and through us to touch lives around us. And it's not a game of points or statistics. It's a game of obedience. It's a game of transformation. Transformation is the goal. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Discipleship, the goal of it, is this process of sanctification, transformation, aligning ourselves with the Lord, letting God, letting God 
move and do and have his way in every area of our life. But not only do we benefit from it, but as we walk out obedience, as we walk out discipleship, as we are transformed, as we know, know and learn about our creator, it impacts the people around us. Jesus commissioned the disciples in Matthew 28. Everyone, everyone in here probably knows this first, Matthew 28, 18 and 20. 18 through 20, Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, all of it. Therefore, because I've got all the authority in heaven and earth, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all I have commanded, or excuse me, all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I will always be with you, even to the end of of the age. We are authorized and we are commissioned, we are sent to make disciples. Now you might read this and how my old Baptist brain reads this, go out and make disciples. Make them with a hammer. You're showing up on the street corner and you're like, come over here, I'm about to disciple you. But God has placed all of these things in us through his Holy Spirit. As we walk out transformation and Holy Spirit changes our lives, the people around us will begin to notice the difference. You will be empowered to speak on the Lord's behalf. And it might not be some Welsh revival, grand, everybody fall out, a thousand people come to Jesus kind of thing. It may be, it's more likely to be being kind and gentle when the world gives you every reason not to be. Or extending a helping hand at the right moment. And more often than not, this, these, the, this, the discipleship that takes place is something you may never see in its fullness until you're with the Lord in person, where you're able to step back and he can go, see, when you did this right here, when you paid for that person's $5 coffee at Starbucks that one time, you didn't see the work I was doing in the four people that saw you do that. The four people you thought were busy that didn't see it. The four people that heard about it later the one person who was behind the counter questioning whether the Lord even existed and made some kind of dumb prayer like, Lord, if, this, if, you, if you're real, have somebody pay for this guy's coffee. I've heard many a testimony. Specifically, one comes to mind. I'll share it with you. It's a story of this guy who's trying to walk out of obedience, and he's at the gas station. And one of his unique talents, we'll say, because I can't do it, is he could do a handstand. Or if I can do a handstand, Jesus is on his way. <laughs> I am top heavy. I don't know if y'all know this. <laughs> um, and so he was sitting there pumping gas, and he felt just the strong impression of the Lord to go in the gas station and do a handstand. And he was like, what? Let me tell you, if you're following the Lord, you're going to have a lot of what's. <laughs> 
And so he goes, I mean, I'm so, okay. I'm sure, I'm sure like me, if, if I'm impressed to do something, I'm like complaining the whole time I'm headed to do it. Goes in the gas station, does his handstand, gets down. And the, and the clerk behind the counter starts crying. And he's like, what? <laughs> and this, this, this person had just prayed and probably the, the most faithless or desperate prayer, Lord, if you're even real, have somebody come do a handstand right here in the middle of this gas station. He, he was like, all right, bet. But it's these little things, these opportunities to show God's goodness, to show God's mercy, to show God's gentleness, tenderness, love, peace, that you may never hear back from. You may never know the full impact. You probably won't. But that is the effect that God is having around you to make disciples, to go and make disciples. Don't get caught up in discipleship means I've got to get X number of people to sit in my church consistently over a period of time. Discipleship is walking with Jesus and walking with other people. It's that simple. Jesus spent a lot of time eating dinner. He spent a lot of time doing laundry. He spent some time making and breaking camp. He did a lot of really powerful, extraordinary miracles, but he did a lot of what we would call mundane things. And so also are we called to do the mundane well. So how do we make disciples? We know what discipleship is. We know why it's important. But how do we make them? If you haven't figured it out by now, discipleship is everyone's responsibility. Let me break that off of you right now in Jesus' name. It is not the responsibility of the leaders of your church. It is not Jeremy's responsibility or Lindsay's responsibility or Haley's responsibility to ensure people are discipled. They play a role. But every one of us in this room, whether you're new here or whether you've been here forever, is responsible for discipleship. If revival broke out in this city and 100,000 people got saved and 20 families showed up in our church because they were like, we know Jesus now and this was the closest thing. This, we live down the road. One person ain't going to disciple however many people, 80 people. Two, three people ain't going to. They're going to need to make meaningful connections with people that believe in Jesus. And that's, I would dare say, most everyone here. So discipleship is everybody's responsibility. And the making of discipleship, also, if you haven't figured it out by now, is a long process of obedience. If anything is going to get you closer to the Lord quickly, it's obedience. You can sacrifice all day long, and the Lord will honor that. The Lord will honor your sacrifices. But if you want to grow in intimacy and closeness, if you want to be empowered and trusted with the things God wants and has for you, because I guarantee you right now, everybody in here, God's got a plan that if he showed it to you right now, you'd be like, I'm out. No, no, hard no, pass. He has big things for every person in here and things we can't imagine. 
But the path there is obedience. The path there is every time I'm met with a choice that's my choice or the Lord's choice, it's the Lord's choice. That's meant, that means walking out the things you believe. If God is all good, then when he asks me to do things, they can't be bad. When we're faithful in the small things, that builds trust to be faithful in the larger things. But that is a slow process of obedience in the mundane. If you have kids, uh, or you're just, just part of anybody's life that, that's developing or growing or whatever it is, well, I've got three kids, two, almost five, and almost seven. And what we're becoming aware of more and more is that we are most impactful to them when we are faithful in the small things. When we follow through with what we, were gonna, what we said we were going to do. When we consistently feed them. <laughs> when we are faithful to spend time or to engage with them or to just sit with them, even though you'll, there, there are moments where you feel like you're not doing enough, but in the the moment to moment, you are faithful to love and value and honor them. You're setting them, you're setting them all up for the big things. And you're setting yourself up to be at a place of, of uh, a position of readiness to walk through whatever the, the big thing is, whether that's a traumatic thing or whether that's a, a, a God's glory, big miracle, miraculous kind of thing. Being faithful in the mundane sets you into that place of readiness to do the next thing. Because you can't go from zero to 100 miles an hour very quickly. So discipleship, everybody's responsibility, it's a process of obedience. And in our statement, we identify four areas that, that discipleship, I guess you could say, grows organically from. The first one is God's Word. In our statement, it says the word is the bedrock of our faith and the anchor of our souls. We have to. I don't, I don't know how to make this more plain other than to say I am trying to make this more plain. The word of God has to be in you. You must take it in. I'm not telling you that there's a formula that says you have to read a chapter a day or else blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But if you want to know the Lord and be in communion with him, you have to. A prerequisite is seeking him in his word, knowing him through his word, interacting with him through his word. There is not a way around it. And if you omit this part, you're omitting about 92%. Like, it's the biggest deal. I don't know if you know, the human mind and heart is pretty fickle. We agree with one thing one day and disagree with it the next. We decide in our own sinful nature what is right and what is, what is wrong because we feel like, based on the culture around us, whatever, pick, pick a thing, 
we determine a lot about our life. And that comes from all the way back when we said, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to know what good and evil is. I'm going to partake of the fruit. Now I know what good and evil is. And so I can decide what's good and evil. And so we, we, we pull away from God's compass of go this way. Let me give you, let me show you the path of righteousness. And when we ignore God's word, we will find ourselves going astray. Because I, I, don't, I don't care how concrete your memory is or how strong your reasoning skills are, if you don't come back to the anchor of truth, if you don't come back to what's written down so you can't dispute it. Because I'm convicted regularly. I open the Bible and I'm like, yes, Lord, let's spend some time together. And it's like, you shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, there's that. Or to be reinforced that you are doing the things, to be encouraged, not just to be convicted, but to be encouraged, but to know God. It all starts in His Word. So feast on the Word. The Word forms our identity so that we can know who we are and whose we are, so that a foundation can be built on. It convicts us of our righteousness, just like Thomas told us earlier. You can boldly come before the Lord because He has made you right. But if you weren't in the Word to see that, you might shrink back. Even though you're saved and full of the Holy Spirit, you may shrink back to come to the Lord with your burdens, with your heaviness, with your sin, whatever it is, because of shame, because you did not know Him through His Word to say, I should boldly come. In 2 Timothy Chapter 3, 16, 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So if you are not in the Word, you are not prepared. You have to be in the Word. I'm not here to give you a formula that says X amount of volume equals right amount of preparedness. But if you are not seeking the, word, the Lord in the Word... You are, you are missing the mark. I don't know how to state that more plainly. So we feast on God's word. That helps. That is the majority of setting the foundation for discipleship. The second is we pray. And not, we don't just pray at God. Prayer is our communication with God. It's our, it's our opportunity to sit down and develop relationship. If you've met any, if you've ever had a new relationship in your life, you weren't immediately best friends. I mean, there are some cases when you get along with people and you're like, we clicked, that's going to be good. But you didn't know them in an hour. You don't know them in a day. You have to sit and spend time with them. So in the same way we are feasting on God's Word, we are also praying often simultaneously, being like, Holy Spirit, I'm reading this thing, and none of this makes sense, but I'm going to read it, and you said it, so here it is. But also just to come to Him and talk to Him and be like, how are you? What are you thinking about? What do you think about me? What's on your heart today? To enter into to a two-way communication with the Lord, to receive from Him and to offer worship to Him. To agree with him in prayer. You might, you might be sitting down to say, hey, Lord, what's going on? And then all of a sudden it's like, you need to pray about this. And you're like, that's not even a thing. I, I, that's not even on my radar. I don't know who lives in 
whatever country you just said, but I guess, I guess I'll enter into prayer. Because God wants to partner with us to bring heaven to earth. Transformation is the goal. He may choose you in that time and place to say, I need you. I need to partner with you to execute my glory in this area. So can you, can you agree with me and just pray? And your prayer doesn't have to be some holy, over-the-top anointed thing that you've, that you've pre-planned and written down. It can just be, Lord, bless so-and-so. Lord, help whatever country. Lord, be with whatever people. I want to encourage you to ask God open-ended questions. You are, you are okay. You are good to be mad at God. You are allowed to be angry. You are allowed to be frustrated. You are allowed to be sad. You are allowed to be glad. You can, ex- you can express any emotion you want to to the Lord because He is not going anywhere. Come boldly before the throne. Thanks for that, Thomas. So pray. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail, every detail of their lives. What color your shoelaces are, Lord cares about it, delights in hearing about it. How you felt when that person didn't use their blinker and changed lanes, the Lord delights in that. When you don't know what to do and you're frustrated with somebody, the Lord delights in hearing about it. He delights in every detail of your lives. He is just excited to talk to you. Pray. Feast on his word. Pray to him. And a third way we do that is build community. When we're seeking the Lord, when we're walking out obedience and we're being transformed, God is going to connect you to other people. You will not do it by yourself. Jesus will lead you to people that you can trust and you can connect with. Now, that will be its own process of obedience because you'll have to also choose to interact with those people, to plant yourself, and to root yourself in community. But community, nonetheless, is unavoidable if you are on the path of discipleship. In 1 Corinthians 12 We split this up into two parts. Verse 12 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And we come down to verse 25. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. Community is your apprenticeship. If you want to learn how to be a Christian, you come be around other Christians that are learning how to be a Christian, and you are authentic and open and enter into close relationships with some of those people so that you can bear one another's burdens, so that you can confess your sins and weaknesses, so you can be encouraged and built up by other people God wants to connect you to people that want to be a part of your lives and value you for you and don't have some kind of agenda behind it. We just want to connect with you and do life with you. And that looks like dinner. That looks like hanging out. That looks like watching the Super Bowl later. 
that, that looks like just doing life together. That looks like listening. That looks like suffering when you suffer and being glad when you are honored. People have to come alongside us so that we can learn to be disciples. There is always throughput from the top of the hierarchy that we create in church. There is throughput. It's not a, it, I, I had this thought in my head one time because the Lord had, had um, in Exodus, he, when Moses was like, bro, I can't, I can't disciple too many people. I can't figure out all their problems. And he was like, okay, well, make some people to be over this many and make some people to be over this many. And he created this hierarchical, big word, um, system so that there could be groups, supervised groups that led all the way back to Moses and Moses staying in the tent of meeting connected to God. And we all oftentimes, me, I'm talking about me, looked at church that way. Like, I'm not over 10, or I'm not over 1,000, and that feels like I'm at the bottom. But the people that are over thousands are up here, and that's what it felt like, a big pyramid. And the Lord, at some point, was like, you got the wrong shape. And I was like, what do you mean I got the wrong shape? He's like, it's a circle of throughput. Everyone, everyone at all levels is receiving from somebody and giving to someone all while interacting with the Lord. There is someone, young, old, mature, immature, random person on the street the Lord can, can bring to encourage you, to build you up. And then in that same moment, as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, as you are walking with the Lord, He will use you to encourage someone else and to build them up. And so there's this throughput. It doesn't matter what leadership level you're at, there's always someone giving to you and someone to be given by you. So I want to encourage you, being part of that community of young, old, black, white, all the things in between gives you ample opportunity to receive and to give and to learn from the multitude, from the wisdom of life experience represented in this room. Because there's people you may not know, there's testimonies, I guarantee in this room, there's testimonies none of us have heard about God's extreme power, about God's extreme faithfulness. That if you heard, man, your faith would grow 10 times. And that's why you have to be connected. Because you're not going to hear those stories. You're going you're to walk through some challenge and you're going to be part of community and that person's going to go, you know, your situation reminds me of a situation I went through. And you're going to receive encouragement. But more than that, you're going to have someone to sit with you in that challenging time. And that, in that, when that burden is heavy, someone is going to come alongside you to shore you up, to help you, to walk with you, to bear the burden with you. You cannot make disciples without community. Discipleship, well, I don't know if we're going to say it. Okay. Discipleship absent community can quickly turn into, I don't know if idolship's the right word, but idolatry is probably the right word. Idolatry. Because once you decide no one can give you anything, once you isolate yourself and say no one can speak into my life, you've made yourself an idol. 
then all of a sudden you know better than everyone else because only you, only you can know what God has said or told you, and you cannot receive from those around you. You've placed yourself, you've dethroned God and placed him there. He's, he's, you would say he's alongside you, and he is because he never leaves us. But when we isolate ourselves, we put ourselves at the center. I'm not saying you may get there intentionally. I'm not saying you stepped out of the car and you were like, you know what? No one can speak into my life. I'm just going to go there. But you just may find yourself there. And it's a dangerous place to be because we're most unhealthy when we're isolated. If you want to see people who are very unhealthy, watch any of the documentaries on supermax prisons where they are kept in isolation for 23 hours a day. People need people. People need to talk to people. People just need to interact with people. We are not designed to be completely alone. And if we are left alone, we will go crazy. Building community. Feasting on God's word. Praying and communing with the Lord. Building community. Entering into community. Community. One last thing about community. It's our safe place to fail. If you don't have a safe place to fail, you'll never grow because part of growing is failure. Part of taking risk is failure. If you don't have a safe place in your community to say, I messed it all up and still be accepted, you won't be able to appreciate God's unconditional love that, re- that is represented from a close godly community. Last thing, communion. Not only did Jesus ask us to do this regularly in remembrance of him, but its purpose brings back to mind his sacrifice and reframes our heart. It, it activates the humility in us to bring us back to that. I would be nothing without Jesus. To bring us back to recall our history with God. To look back and say, Thank you, Lord, that you redeemed me. And then you walked with me through this. And then you never abandoned me through this. And then you led me to this. And to fill our hearts with faith and gratitude. Because when your heart is filled with gratitude, you can't help but be humble to be gracious, and to be united. Communion brings us, pulls us back down to what it's all about and shows us the resilience God's built, the resilience God has sustained, the unity, the community, His goodness is all reinforced in that time of communion. So I want to encourage you. You're, you're part of discipleship. You're, you're doing discipleship. But I want you to, to ask yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus? And if the answer is yes, am I walking it out in the fullest obedience I can? And y'all, I... It's all the, 
it's frustrating all the Christian words because we say things like surrender and salvation. We, they don't have the same meaning to the same people. And I don't, I don't know how to tell you that complete and total surrender is the pathway to freedom. And I don't know how to overemphasize complete and utter surrender to God. To invite Him into whatever in your life and to ask Him to do that regardless of how you feel. That's where I started. That's, that's what happened with me. And, and y'all, it's been a wild ride. I'm still on the wild ride, but it just started it just started with that come in the door come in the house of my life okay whatever you want to do you do it and he's like okay well let's let's just take this picture off the wall and we're going to move this couch over here and I'm like okay these are good these are good and then I blinked and he had knocked over my whole house <laughs> and he's like we, it's all bad we got to build another one I was like, okay, okay, Lord. And it makes for a fun story, but it's an uncomfortable process. And so I don't know how to warn you about its discomfort. It's uncomfortable. But I want to encourage you to give give the Lord your full yes. Don't give him the yes that sits at the entrance that says, thank God I've got Jesus and just stays there and is content with being saved and living in the world. Go after all that God has for you because he wants to do so many things in your life to other people, through you, for other people. There are people that may not hear about Jesus unless you go past the gate. And I'm not trying to guilt you into doing anything. I just want you to know that there's, there's, there's an importance. It's more than just you. There are people that you will only interact with, that God has looked 30 years down the road and said, this person's, you're going to walk past them at a gas station and you're going to need to smile. And you're not going to feel like smiling, but you're going to need to smile right then so that they can see that the world doesn't hate them. And if you've been content back here at the gate to not do anything else, but just I'll receive you, Lord, and I'll just I'll punch my time card at church. You're going to miss it. That might be their one opportunity. It's, it's a lot bigger than us. It's a lot bigger. I'm going to pray now because otherwise I'm just going to get on a tangent. And then, and then nobody will make it to lunch and we'll all die of starvation. So I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you, if you don't want this, don't pray with me. Okay? If you're content where you're at and you don't want to go deeper, don't pray with me. Because I feel like God's going to take you at your word. And he's going to plunge you into the next thing. And if you're not prepared to go with him, you're going to be up the creek without a paddle. Jesus. Jesus. Father, we submit the fullness of our life to you. That there is nothing else. There is no, there is no corner of darkness where we're going to shuffle all our things. Have your way 
in us, in our church. We open every area of our life to you. We surrender everything, Father. Come and take it. All of our lives. Work out discipleship in us. Sanctify us. Redeem us. Convict us of our righteousness in you. That we may be the fullest light possible to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.